The primary purpose of the matter over mind experience is to educate. It doesn't constitute advice or services. Before making any changes, please consult a medical or dietary professional. Nutrition, gut health, mental health, hormones, and so much more. These all play roles in sustainable weight management. So, I scour the globe for top experts in fitness, health, and weight loss to bring to you this podcast. So, take a seat and enjoy the ride. Welcome to another episode of the Matter Over Mind Experience. I'm your host, master trainer, and weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. And I have an exciting episode for you today. I have an author and world's expert in Hashimoto disease, Anshul Gupta. So of course, I just gave it away. You know what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about Hashimoto's because for a, we're coming to know that there is such a connection between our thyroid and our health in many aspects, including weight loss and even weight gain. So we have a lot of stuff we're going to connect with today. In fact, I love his book, Reversing Hashimoto's. I've been reading it for pretty much like a couple of weeks now, and I've learned so much from reading his book that's really expanded my mind. So if you haven't read this book, please go out there and check it out. But like I said, we got a lot to get into today. We're going to talk about the thyroid gland, and we'll talk about weight loss, right? We're going to talk about lifestyle modifications you can make to reverse Hashimoto's disease and so much more that Dr. Anshul Gupta is going to educate us today. And with that being said, let's welcome Anshul to the show. Hey, how are you doing today, my man? I'm doing really good, Zico. Thank you so much for inviting me to the show. You are doing amazing job and amazing work of educating, you know, people all over the world, you know, of struggling with weight issues. So I'm glad to be here and share some information from my side. See, he saw another show about trying to make me feel good. They see these kind of guests, man. Just, just, just bless my heart. You just bless my heart. Thank you so much, my friend. But enough being said, let's get this puppy started because you got a lot of good stuff. Honestly, I mean, you're the man. You know what you're talking about. So just, just first tell me about the book. What inspired you to write your book? So Hashimoto's disease, you know, like it's kind of not very well known in the functional medicine or the thyroid world. And what I realized was that a lot of people do not have the proper understanding of what is Hashimoto's disease and what they should do like today that can improve them. There are a lot of books which have been written, which are very like dense in terms of medical information and knowledge, but people would like come out after reading them a little bit confused of what they actually have and what to do. So my aim was to write a book on Hashimoto's disease, first explaining them what it is. And second of all, explaining them why they are not feeling good, even though they are taking the treatment or they have Hashimoto's disease. And then the other aspect was that what they can do today, what lifestyle modifications, what is going on in their body that can help them to reverse this disease. And the good part was that, you know, I wrote the book in a very simple language so everybody can understand it. And second of all, you know, even though it is simple language, I wanted to include research studies so that people just do not feel that I'm just throwing information which doesn't have any research base. 
Because being a researcher, I want to make sure that I'm sharing relevant information and which is actually true. Because again, a lot of people are sharing information which might not have the research base. So again, research-based information in small packets, which is easy to understand and easy to implement. Uh, Something else I love about your book, because so in my practice with myself and my clients, I take a three-sided approach. I look at ancestral living, so things that our ancestors did before us. Also, so for example, how they prepare their food, you know, that's something that I look at. And I also look at um, scientific studies, like you mentioned, and I also look at um, anecdotal evidence, right? And the reason why I brought that up is because I've spoken to many people who are completely on the science side, they're completely on the anecdotal side, but they don't know how to put it together. And that's what I love about your book, because not only do you mention the science, but you bring out the anecdotal piece of it, right? To show people that, hey, these are the things that can happen when you make your lifestyle changes. So thank you so much. I think it's an absolutely fantastic book. And I have so much more to learn as I go through it. But then your first response kind of triggered a question for me, right? Because you say a lot of times people will read a book about um, Hashimoto's or the thyroid, and they're often confused So why do you think that would be? So the problem is that, you know, a lot of people, when they go to the regular doctor and they get diagnosed with a thyroid disorder, the only thing they are told is that whether they have low thyroid or high thyroid, right? And most of them, they are, have the low thyroid and they have hypothyroidism. And they're told that you have to take this medicine and that's it. They don't go anything beyond it. And the beyond thing happens is what is what you call as Hashimoto's disease. They do not know whether they have Hashimoto's disease or not. And even if then they know that they have Hashimoto's disease, the doctor said, well, there is nothing else you can do except for taking this medicine. So that's the reason most people are confused in terms of, okay, why should I be knowing about Hashimoto's disease? And let's say if I do have Hashimoto's disease, does that actually change anything or not? And that's what I wanted to get this information out is that, yes, it is important to know whether you have Hashimoto's disease. It is just not enough to know that you have low thyroid. You have to go beyond it to know whether you have Hashimoto's disease or not. And then the good part is that you can do things which can improve and reverse your Hashimoto's disease. So then my next question I'm thinking of for the individuals that are familiar, what really is Hashimoto's disease? Absolutely. So again, going back to the question saying that, okay, well, people just know whether they have low thyroid, which is hypothyroid. And the other thing is hyperthyroid. So there are several different reasons of hypothyroid or low thyroid. In the world over, the most common reason of hypothyroid currently is Hashimoto's disease. And most people don't even know that. Now, what is Hashimoto's disease? Hashimoto's disease is actually an autoimmune condition of your thyroid gland. In this disease, the body starts making antibodies. And these antibodies starts a slow destruction of the thyroid gland. Now, this destruction is a very slow destruction, can take weeks to months to years. And then finally, once the antibodies have destroyed your thyroid gland, then it leads to hypothyroidism. And that's where, you know, the blood work, which we most commonly people will get is a TSH. And that will find out whether their thyroid is producing enough thyroid hormone or not, will get detected. And then they will be started on the hypothyroid medicine. Now, the worst part is this. Most people don't know that the medicine that they are being given, the levothyroxine, is not doing anything 
for the autoimmune part of the Hashimoto's disease. It is literally not doing anything for Hashimoto's. It is just a band-aid which has been given to your thyroid gland to support the less amount of thyroid hormone which your body is producing. So it's the medicine is basically the hormone to support your body. That's it. So what I'm hearing is kind of similar to um, type 2 diabetes, right? When someone has like, you know, what your body produces enough insulin, you know how it works. Eventually, your body becomes insensitive um, sensitive to it and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's kind of like you keep you, you put someone on more insulin, but you address the lifestyle factors, why they develop type 2 diabetes in the first place. Right. So that's kind of like what I'm hearing, if, if the connection makes any sense to you. Absolutely. So again, obviously, like, you know, we know that insulin resistance is the number one reason or is the reason in type 2 diabetes, right? And nobody's working on the insulin resistance except for obviously giving medications or external insulin. So similar that, you know, if you work on the underlying problems of type 2 diabetes, we are able to reverse it as well as improve it. So similarly in Hashimoto's disease, if you work on the underlying problems or the root cause, we can improve it and we can reverse it. And that's where people can even reduce their medicine or sometimes get off of it also. So for the person, the common person that's listening, that may be thinking, am I at risk at developing Hashimoto's? Like what are really some of the uh, common risk factors um, of Hashimoto's? So obviously the number one risk factor in any disease is that, you know, if, you know, anybody in your family has that particular disease. So let's say, you know, like a person's mom or grandmother, you know, or like, you know, father or siblings, anybody has Hashimoto's or thyroid disorder, then definitely they are at higher risk for Hashimoto's disease. Then other people, you know, like sometimes we have seen that poor lifestyle factors, if people are smoking or have smoked, then again, that can lead to that. The other risk factor is that if people are gaining weight and they're not able to lose weight, that is another risk factor for Hashimoto's disease. Something called radiation exposure, you know, which is again kind of rare, but again can happen in people who are living in different parts of the world, you know, like that again can predispose them to Hashimoto's disease. And one important thing is actually excess iodine. Now, most people think iodine is very important for thyroid gland, but what research is showing is that excess amount of iodine can also lead to triggering of Hashimoto's disease. The the reason I'm, you know, like bringing this up is that a lot of people who are listening to the show or are there who want to improve their health are taking a lot of supplements like, you know, online or just buying them off the shelf. Now, these supplements can have high amounts of iodine added to them and they might not even be aware of it. And that sometimes can, again, put them at risk for Hashimoto's disease too. When you say high amounts of iodine, like what would you consider? I mean, and and again, we're not diagnosing anyone. We're not giving any recommendations. We're just having a general conversation here. But what would you consider high amounts? So the high amount, again, is very difficult to define because we have to take into account for iodine coming from food, from supplements, from, you know, kind of, you know, like everything that is going around us, right? So that's first important thing. Now, the research suggests that if anybody is taking more than 300 micrograms of iodine on the regular basis, that puts them at risk for Hashimoto's disease. Now, research is mainly accounting for, let's say, uh, the supplement or external sources. But I think anybody who's taking more than between three to 500 or higher than that can put them at a higher risk uh, for Hashimoto's disease. Now, that being said, let's say somebody has hypothyroid and the main reason of their hypothyroid is low iodine. So for a short amount of time, they can take higher amount of iodine. But what we are talking about is taking this amount at like everyday basis for years and years. 
So would you say when it comes to taking uh, iodine, for example, right? I would say iodine. I said iodine is a Jamaican way, but um, would you say you should talk to your doctor first before um, even taking anything that includes iodine? Absolutely. It is very important to discuss with your doctor or healthcare provider with all the supplements that you are doing. Because again, depending on your medication, depending on your disease process, there are some, some supplements might be useful and some supplements actually might be harming your thyroid or Hashimoto's or your body. So it is very important to discuss it with your doctor. So then makes me kind of leads me to my next question, right? Because this is going to be a biggie because again, people are still thinking, okay, I, I'm, I'm not sure I might have hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism, but I don't, I'm not sure if I even have Hashimoto's, right? So give us some, like some symptoms people may have to look out for to kind of give them an idea if they actually do have Hashimoto's. Yes. So there are several symptoms. That's an unfortunate piece of it because, you know, like these symptoms, when people will hear it, there are so many symptoms and a lot of symptoms might be pertinent to a lot of people. And that's the reason we have to have a very high index of suspicion. So starting from, you know, like the most common symptom of Hashimoto's disease is weight issues that people are either gaining weight or either not able to lose weight. The second most common symptom is feeling tired or feeling fatigued a lot of times. The third most common symptom is mood changes that sometimes they feel anxious, sometimes they feel depressed or sometimes they are feeling just stressed out. Then comes the other symptoms like gut related symptoms, like feeling constipation, having diarrhea, bloating, stomach cramping. That's another symptom. Then brain fog is another very important symptom that people are either forgetting things, not able to remember things, especially names, or they're not able to concentrate on things for a lot, for a longer amount of time. Then comes they're feeling cold all the times, then hair thinning or hair fall issues, then skin problems that their skin is getting dry or they have eczema issues or even infertility issues, you know, or menstrual issues, all of these symptoms, you know, kind of can be associated with Hashimoto's disease. So as you will see, these are like symptoms which are very wide range. So that's the reason I think the only way to confirm is that basically doing the right blood work so that people know that they have Hashimoto's disease or not. So we have a lot more to uncover, right? Because we're going to get into some, we're going to talk about weight and because this is primarily a weight management show. So we're going to connect thyroid with weight and some things to look out for. And a couple of things that um, Anshul just mentioned that I really want to dive in. But before I do that, I want to pause and give him a little bit of break. And I want to talk about one of my favorite companies. I want to talk about the Amino Co. They make one of my favorite products. It is Proform. You see, their products are 100% science-backed, built on amino acid technology, first funded by NASA, and further refined through rigorous research and independent clinical trials. So what's Proform? It's an ENA product, EAA product, right? Essential amino acid. It's designed to improve muscle performance during exercise, enhance mental clarity, and concentration. And I know a whole lot of us can use a lot more mental clarity and concentration, right? Am I right? Am I right? And also reduce fatigue and dehydration and minimize recovery times. Now, why do I love Perform and I use it pretty much every day is because I drink it kind of for pre-workout because it has essential aminos. It has not branch chain aminos, but essential aminos, also creatine 
and only 60 milligrams of, of um, caffeine per serving. And why that's important is because when you drink most pre-workouts, it's loaded with sugar and has like 200 milligrams of caffeine or 300 milligrams of caffeine. That's a lot for the body to process in one go versus because we have the creatine, which we know for for eons now, right? Like the benefits of creatine for our mind and for our bodies, for our muscles, and also the blend of essential aminos allows me to bang through my workouts and perform at higher levels without needing 200 or 300 milligrams of protein. Some, I'm not saying protein, sorry, caffeine. Something else that I love about Perform is that they have all natural flavors. You know, for me, it's all about health first, right? So I go for the all natural flavors. When you're going through the website, you'll be able to see which ones are all natural and the ones that I prefer for you to use, right? So check it out. But in addition to that, I love to read these trials. Uh, 20% increase in exercise completed, 22% increase in endurance, 11% increase in peak performance during exercise, and 10% improvement in cognitive function during exercise. There's some of the wonderful benefits you can get out of using Perform in your workout. So check it out. The website is aminoco.com Zico Health. When you click on the website, you see this handsome face just staring at you, right? With this smile too, of course, with this smile too, right? But yeah, seriously, you'll get, but what are, something else, of course, I have a gift for you. You can get 30% off, 30% off their fantastic products. So I'll make sure that the link to the website is on, is in the description of the episode. So you can click on it, try perform, or heal the other product that I love and get your 30% discount. And with that being said, we're back into the show because we're talking about the thyroid because we're, remember, don't, don't touch that dial because we're going to get into some lifestyle changes that you can make when you have Hashimoto's disease. But before we get there, I want to touch on the weight management piece a little bit, right? Because you hear people say, well, yeah, why, why, why is it that if I have Hashimoto's, I may struggle to lose weight? Can you make that connection for us, Angel? Absolutely. So um, it's very important to understand what thyroid does, right? So thyroid is a very important endocrine gland in our body. It has several functions in our body. One of the most common function is that it is a metabolism hormone. It basically regulates the basic metabolic rate of our body. That's what the thyroid hormone is needed and does it. What that means is that it's basically how much energy we are burning when we are not doing any activity or any work. Okay. So that's the reason like, you know, when you, you do have thyroid hormone, your basic metabolic rate sometimes might not be the best and you're just not burning enough energy. And obviously if you're not burning energy, then all that accumulates in the body and that obviously causes weight gain or even when you're not able to lose weight. Now, even beyond that, this is just one reason, you know, like basic metabolic rate. Beyond that, what is also happening is that thyroid is also very well connected with mitochondria. Now, again, mitochondria is a very, very small organelle, which is present in each and every cell of our body. And again, it controls metabolism. It controls inflammation. It controls autoimmunity. And it also controls aging in our body. And it has been shown that when there is poor mitochondrial function, that your mitochondria is not working the best then again, people are not able to lose weight because again, mitochondria processes your carbohydrate. It processes your fat. It also helps you to make energy. All of those processes are not working in the best potential when you do have a thyroid disorder, especially Hashimoto's disease, because all that autoimmunity and all that inflammation is destroying mitochondria. And that is another reason 
that people are not able to lose weight when they have Hashimoto's disease. I'm glad that you brought up the mitochondria. I think when it comes to weight loss, a lot of people are familiar with uh with the underactivity of the um of the thyroid gland, but when it would the connection with inflammation, the mitochondria is something that we miss, which is why I I I'm gonna die on this hill. I I preach this on my Instagram, on my podcast many times. It's not just about food in, food out, or calories in, calories out. When it comes to overall health, including weight loss or weight management. You have to look at the whole picture and and inflammation is a very important piece of that. The quality of the food that you eat. I think in in America, the I think it's what seventeen to one or fifteen to one of a of uh, of in, uh, inflammatory to anti-inflammatory omega six to omega one is like the standard American diet, right? So think about it. We're creating like. 15 times more inflammation than anti-inflammation. I mean, think how how bad that is, right? How much the damages that we're causing to our body on a molecular level, like it's 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 it's, it's crazy. So we really have to stop and look at our diet and look at the things that we're doing. And when we talk about inflammation, and you know this, doctor, it's not just about the food that we eat. No, no, no. It's about the lifestyle stuff, right? It's about, are you getting quality sleep, right? I know you're going to talk about that in a little bit. It's about, you know, you, how do you manage your stress levels? You know, like there's, there, do you get sunlight, you know, and there's so many things that's involved in creating informational body. So on top of a poor diet, we have a lot of lifestyle issues that's creating more inflammation, which is damaging our mitochondria. So thank you so much for bringing all that. I think, I think when it comes to Hashimoto's and, um, and the thyroid, a lot of people don't talk enough about the inflammation piece, which in your earlier, in, in your earlier question, you mentioned that, you know, a lot of people read these books and they're confused. Right. Because again, doctors do not talk about the inflammation or the inflammatory piece. So thank you so much for that. Which leads me to my next question. Lifestyle changes. We say, okay, we, uh, people are getting stuck now, kind of figure, okay, I don't know what to do. Maybe I'm already on medication or, you know, I have these symptoms and I got tested and I'm not sure what to do next. So what, again, I want to caveat by saying, we're not going to tell you to stop your medication. We're not diagnosing you. We're just spreading general information and giving you knowledge. But doctor, tell what are some lifestyle changes people can make when they do have Hashimoto's? And absolutely. So, you know, kind of you pointed out very correctly that there is underlying inflammation. The most common mistake, a lot of people who do have a thyroid or a Hashimoto disease is that they're just counting calories, right? And calories do not work for your thyroid gland. You have to focus more on the quality of the food, not just the quantity. Because what research have shown is that because thyroid is a metabolic hormone, people actually who start to starve themselves, you know, for a longer amount of time and starving is basically anything you are going like 1200 calories or 1000 calories because you just focus on the calories. Then your body's thyroid hormones start decreasing. It even gets worse because the body sends a signal to the thyroid. Hey, I want to shut down because this guy is going to starve to death. So why don't you just kind of, you know, stop the process so that you, we just burn less calories and burn less energy. And that's the reason people do not lose weight. So the first thing, the lifestyle factors is very important to know what is the right diet, you know, that you have to follow in Hashimoto's disease. So the diet that I talk about is that basically they have two sides to it. One side is that remove foods, which is bad for your thyroid or causing inflammation in the body. 
And the second thing is include food, which is healing for your thyroid and reducing inflammation. So that's a simple thing. So let's first talk about the food, which is actually bad for the thyroid that people should consider start removing. So everybody knows the processed food is really bad. You know, like all that fast food that we're eating is bad. So definitely stay away from those. Then comes the gluten. Gluten has shown that, you know, in several research studies that most people who do have Hashimoto's disease, gluten might not be their best friend. So they should definitely give it a trial of at least four to six weeks or removing gluten from their diet. Then comes the dairy. Again, similarly, dairy, because it is so inflammatory to for a lot of people, again, especially for Hashimoto's disease, again, giving it a trial of removing dairy is another thing that people should consider. Then comes the sugar. You know, we are consuming tons and tons of sugar, you know, in our daily lives. Some people think that they are not taking just a regular sugar, but sugar is hidden in a lot of products that we are using. So again, kind of accounting for all different kinds of sugar is very important. Then comes the other products, you know, like, you know, excessive alcohol intake, you know, then processed meat is another thing. Sometimes soy and corn might also be a problem. So these are all the foods that people have to consider. Again, I'm not saying that each and every person should remove all the foods, but definitely consider looking into whether which food might be the problem with you or not. That's where sometimes the food sensitivity testing or food sensitivity might be useful. So that's the first food, remove the bad food. Okay, so stay away from all the uh, inflammatory causing food. Then the second step comes of including food, which is healing for your thyroid. In that, the first step is obviously including all these colorful, non-starchy vegetables. Vegetables are key to the diet. They have so many phytonutrients. They have so many vitamins. They have so many minerals and they have good soluble fiber and insoluble fiber, which supports the gut microbiome. So for all the reasons, you know, like non-starchy vegetables are great. All different kinds, the more colorful vegetables you have in your diet, the better it is. Now, a lot of people are actually scared of eating vegetables when they have thyroid disorders because they have been told the vegetables might be actually harming their thyroid because of something called goitrogens. Especially gruciferous vegetables like cabbages, cauliflowers, broccolis, they have been told that these uh, food are really bad because they actually interfere with your thyroid. Now, this was based on a very old study. You know, probably like 30 years ago, the study was done and it was done in only animals. And at that time, the number one reason of hypothyroidism was not Hashimoto's. It was iodine deficiency. And yes, at that time, goitrogen foods might not be the best choice. But in the current scenario, the number one reason of hypothyroidism is not iodine deficiency anymore. It is actually the opposite. Now we have Hashimoto's disease, which is an autoimmune condition. And we do have a couple of research studies which do suggest that eating these cruciferous vegetables and non-starchy vegetables is actually better for Hashimoto's disease because they have so many different kinds of compounds, you know, like for detoxification, for supporting your immune system that actually supports your Hashimoto's disease. So please don't get afraid with those veggies. Definitely they are your friend and you should keep them in your diet on the regular basis. So that's the first thing that people should focus on. Then the second comes the good quality protein. Again, proteins are the building blocks of our blo of our life. So everybody should include good quality protein, which are chicken, fish or turkey. Or whether if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, make sure you're eating your like lentils, beans, legumes. Those are all great sources. So good quality protein is the second thing that definitely people should include. Then comes the good quality fats. Again, in the last decade, we all have created this environment of each and every fat is bad. 
you know we have not tried to educate people there is good fat and there is bad fat now each and every cell of our body is lined with fat so if we don't have good fats in our body our body doesn't function 60% of our brain is made with fat so we need good fat to function we need good fat to fight all that inflammation so it's very important to include good fats which can be your fatty fishes which can be your avocados which can be your nuts and seeds like almonds walnuts you know all those things chia seeds flax seeds those are all good fats that you should definitely include olive oil coconut oil all good fats that should be part of your diet so that actually again you can support your thyroid gland again a lot of people are afraid that well you know fats do have a lot of calories you know i want to lose weight and you're telling me to eat fat so yes good fats are supporting your body if they don't reduce the inflammation your body doesn't lose weight but majority of your diet should be you know uh, your vegetables and the good fat should be a small proportion but they should be there and last comes the gluten free grains you know that's where whole grains are very important majority of the people are eating grains which are very much processed again you know like they processed to the point that you know all of their good things have been removed all of that fiber all of the good parts which actually support our health has been removed and what we are eating is the simple carbs so very important to eat whole grains which again is going to support your body so this and then comes the fruits you know like again like you know fruits can be a good part of your diet but again the fruit which are lesser in calories like berries blueberries blackberries strawberries are awesome to include apples are great to include so again these is an anti inflammatory diet if you follow this diet by removing first of all food which is bad for your body and then including food which is good for your body and your thyroid this balanced diet again eventually help your thyroid hormone balance reduces inflammation in the body reduces those hashimoto's antibodies and again let your body to function better and when your body is functioning better then your body starts losing weight also that was so much for me to unpack i was down here taking notes as you were talking trying to say well, what are we going to talk about next i mean that was fantastic and so in line with my practice and how i and what and when i have discussions with my clients right i want to really touch on the fat piece from the weight management piece because you brought that up and that is so true because we have such a poor relationship with food now and we think something is good or something is bad like so we get into that oh you know fat's bad um now we're saying sugar is bad and you now we're confused with protein we're not even sure what category to really put that in but you were so right it's not about good or bad um it's it's it's, it's a macro it's a nutrient your body needs it's about the quality of it right so for example let's talk about fats Vegetable oil fat and olive oil fat, not the same quality. Even olive oil and coconut oil, I'm saying not, not putting them against each other, but the, the difference between uh, medium chain triglycerides and long chain triglycerides, right? They have different benefits for your body. So those are things we have to understand. But something I really love that you said was, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember anymore. <laughs> Maybe I need some perform to boost my memory here. But you did basically saying that, we shouldn't necessarily seek out the fat, right? So make it incidental, a part of your diet. Because some people get into the one side of the spectrum and say, okay, I'm just going to eat a whole lot more fat because I'm not eating a lot of sugar. Well, you don't necessarily want to do that either. You want to make it incidental, a part. For example, if I'm eating chicken, well, fat comes with chicken. You know, that's just how it goes. It's a part of my diet. I don't necessarily go take a bunch of oil and pour it on top of the chicken and fry it and, and create and, and add fat to my diet. I don't need to do that. So we have to be very mindful of those things. And something else to consider 
And because I've worked with thousands of people over the years, and I've seen this very similar, even with people who don't necessarily have Hashimoto's, and come to realize that they don't realize that the body can use fats or um, carbs for energy. And you want to be metabolically flexible that your body can actually move in between both fuel sources, right? And oftentimes when we, when we take out a certain macro out of our diet for a very long time, the body actually does downplay the, the, the enzymes that it uses to break down that particular food. So we're talking about like amylase and lipase and so on and so forth. So you take fats out of your diet for a long time, for years and years and years, pretty much. Your body then doesn't, it, it, to put it in layman's terms, really kind of forgets how to break down fat well. And so when you start to reintroduce fat into your diet, you may it still introduce those issues, have those issues because your body no longer knows how to break it down. Well, the same thing with carbs. When you say, I'm just going to take carbs out of our diet, we have studies that show when people start to add carbs back in, their body struggles to use the carbs for energy as they're supposed to, which what comes down to, it's not about good or bad. It's about using it when the body can. And that's so important to understand. And there's a lot more I can get into, but I have an entire podcast on metabolic flexibility. So I'm not going to get into the details of that, but I just want people to be aware that we need to be very mindful when we talk about taking foods off our diet and start thinking about the quality of the foods that we eat, which leads me to our next question, because we'll get a little bit more into the lifestyle piece. But I want to talk a little bit more about gluten and sugar, because we hear that all the time. And people say, well, you know, sugar is bad or gluten or how it may impact your thyroid. Why exactly is that? So gluten, you know, like the present gluten that we have is very different from what the traditional form of gluten was there. So what happened was that, you know, again, as you talk about, like, you know, the ancestral piece, you know, of like how we have developed, you know, in our culture, right? So previously, when we were eating this wheat, which was completely wild, right? And slowly and slowly, we realized, you know, like wheat can, we can use wheat for a longer amount of time, because, you know, at the time, we were still like living in the jungles, you know, or we did not have very much establishments. So the food was still scarce, you know, we never knew whether, when we will get the food. So wheat could be there for a longer amount of time. So we started doing natural selection. We kind of, you know, started, you know, using more wheat crops, which was like easy to kind of grow, which was more resistant to pests and things. And then as the industrial revolution or the agriculture revolution happened, we even changed it much more. We kind of introduced a GMO component to it to completely genetically change the wheat, you know, what was there before. And then plus, because of this genetic change, we have to use more and more insecticides, pesticides, all of those things so that that can grow properly. Now, our body interacts with food through like, you know, basically through chemicals, you can say, you know, the every food that has has a chemical structure to it. And our body recognizes that chemical structure and then says, okay, it is safe or is it not safe? Now, the wheat chemical structure has changed to the point that a body doesn't recognize it a lot of times. And because of that, it thinks it's, it, it thinks that it is something more foreign. And whenever body thinks it is foreign or not, it is, it is not his friend. It basically starts this reaction against it saying that, okay, well, you know, you are not my enemy, but you're not my friend either. So I'm going to kind of, you know, start very small production of these antibodies to kind of just kind of shoo you away that I don't want you to hear, just kind of create that environment. But what happens is that. Because a thyroid, some chemical structure of our thyroid is very similar to wheat or gluten currently. So when these antibodies are made to actually attack the gluten, actually they in the friendly fire attack our thyroid gland too. And that's the reason when I said that initially the Hashimoto's disease, it can take weeks to years to destroy the thyroid gland. This is the reason. 
because these antibodies might be very very small amount and then they can start this background destruction you know at a very slow amount that people will not get symptoms a lot of times so that's the reason for a lot of people you know gluten might not be the best choice the problem is this that we do not have a perfect test to check who is at higher risk or not there are obviously tests to check for gluten allergy which is celiac disease which is totally different and there are obviously tests available to check for food sensitivities but the problem is that the food sensitivity tests are not 100% accurate so i don't want to rely on a test for anybody's life so i always say well why don't you just remove gluten for 3 or 4 weeks and see how your body does if you see a measurable difference in the person's body that your body is feeling better your thyroid labs is getting better if your antibodies are getting better then it says something that maybe this is something that you need to look more deeper but let's say you remove gluten for 3 to 4 weeks you feel perfectly fine there is no change you are actually feeling worse then maybe gluten is not the enemy of your body so again it's a more kind of a personalized approach i don't say that each and every hashimotos clients gluten is bad but we do see at least 60% of people with hashimotos disease they feel better once they remove gluten for at least 3 to 4 weeks I want to ask you to elaborate on that last piece cuz we're talking about food sensitivity and food allergy, right? Because sometimes when I talk to individuals and they will say, "Oh, gluten doesn't bother me." Oh, that doesn't bother me because their brain is thinking allergies, right? So, can you kind of kindly explain to my audience why is it important to know the difference between well, what's the difference between food sensitivity and food allergies and why is it important to really know the difference? Absolutely. So food allergies is basically like you know most common food allergies to peanuts, right? Basically, people will eat peanuts, they blow up like a balloon, you know, and they land up in the emergency room. Okay, that's what we call as food allergies, where suddenly you eat food and you have a major reaction. The major reaction is can be as I said, hives, can be as I said, swelling of your face, swelling of your arms, difficulty breathing, shortness of breath. These are what food allergy symptoms are. food sensitivity is something different food sensitivity is that when you consume that particular food when again your body says that okay well you are not my best friend but you are not my enemy either so i'm just going to produce a very small amount of antibodies or you can say chemicals because these are similar chemicals which are being produced in the food allergy piece of it but are a very very small amount so they don't lead to the full blown anaphylactic reaction of swelling you know or hives or like difficulty breathing but what it does is that because all of these chemicals are being released locally in your gut then these chemicals start destroying your gut and they produce something called leaky gut and that leaky gut actually is the starting process of a lot of autoimmune diseases so that's what food sensitivity does and unfortunately it doesn't give you a lot of symptoms because it's a very very small destruction which is happening so a lot of people might not even see any difference in their regular life until finally that leaky gut leads to autoimmune process and that autoimmune process starts destroying different parts of your body and then you might have symptoms associated with that particular organ of your body not even with the food sensitivity piece of it the problem is another uh, another level is that when you are doing food allergies you know that the the symptoms you know are releasing too many chemicals which you can detect in the blood or in the food sensitivities these chemicals are very slow releasing chemicals so very difficult to detect in the blood and plus they can stay in your body for at least 2 or 3 weeks so that's the reason we want any food when you are wanting to know whether that's a food sensitivity or not you have to remove it for a minimum of 3 weeks so that all those antibodies which are being produced in that form is released and then you do the reintroduction and then your body will tell you whether that's your friend or not 
So then let's talk about leaky gut, right? Because people, we've heard that term thrown around a lot, right? Gut permeability, leaky gut, however you want to call it, right? So a lot of times I hear um, that when someone has one um, autoimmune condition, they're more likely to have another. Is, it, is that connected to leaky gut somehow? Absolutely. So again, you know, like what is autoimmune condition? Autoimmune condition is basically, again, your body starts producing. So it's a trigger around your environment. And that's the basis for all the autoimmune conditions. So autoimmune conditions are this interplay between your genetic makeup and the environment around you. So when your body gets exposed to the wrong environment, it produces these antibodies that leads to leaky gut and that destroys the body. Now, if you're not doing anything to address your environment, this autoimmune process will first destroy one part of your body. Let's say in case your thyroid or Hashimoto's, once it is done destroying this completely, then it is going to start looking for other, other areas of your body. And then maybe you get rheumatoid arthritis, or maybe you get, you know, like and uh, Crohn's disease, oral colitis, or maybe you get lupus, or maybe you get another autoimmune condition. So you're absolutely correct that once you get one autoimmune condition, if you don't address your environment, if you don't address the root cause, which is a leaky gut, then you are going to get a second autoimmune condition, maybe in five years, maybe in 10 years. Which is going to circle me back to the lifestyle thing, right? Because we just talk about food and we know how important that is. And we just kind of went really deep into that. But what other lifestyle changes can someone make if they do have an underlying, like an autoimmune condition, like uh, hypothyroidism? Absolutely. So other uh, other um, lifestyle changes, you know, first of all, is stress management. We have seen, again, several research studies pointing out that females, especially middle-aged females, when they go through stressful situations, now this stress can be mental, can be physical, can be psychological, spiritual, or even hormonal. All of these are stressors for a female body or even male body, and that leads to triggering of Hashimoto's disease. So it is very important to work on stress management because the world we are living in currently is stressful. Especially middle-aged females, you know, have so many responsibilities. They have to take care of their husbands. They have to take care of their kids. They have to take care of their parents. They have to take care of their jobs. They have to take care of their house, right? Each and everything comes with a baggage. Each and everything comes with that stress, which is they put on their body. Now, I'm not saying that every female just dumps all their work and not do anything at all. That is just not possible. What I'm saying is that you just have to make your body more resilient towards handling stress. So in that aspect, stress reduction exercises like, you know, meditation, deep breathing, yoga, developing a hobby, all of those things are great to kind of stop that cortisol response from your stress so that your body can take more and can actually not react to stress in a negative fashion. And again, you don't have to do these for hours and hours, just 10 to 15 minutes of meditation or deep breathing is great in actually helping your adrenals, in helping that stress response. So that's a very important key that a lot of people do not pay attention to and always tell people that developing a stress reduction routine is very important or part of your schedule. Then second comes, as you mentioned, sleep. Again, you know, like we are not prioritizing sleep. It has been shown in research study that more than 60% of people like who are living in America currently do not get the good quality sleep that is needed for their body. So we need at least seven to eight hours of good quality sleep, which is very important for our body to function so that when we are sleeping, you know, our, our immunity kind of, you know, comes back. We do all the healing process, all the regeneration process. So sleeping is again a priority that people should focus on. Then comes the exercise piece of it. 
Now, exercise is kind of a two-edged sword, you know, for Hashimoto's or thyroid people. Too much exercise can actually be detrimental for their thyroid and too little exercise is also bad. So they have to figure out where they are. For an example, like a person who's running a marathon for him or her to kind of, you know, uh, doing a five minute of cardio exercise is nothing, right? So they can definitely tackle more. But for a person who has not done exercising for a long time, for that person going from their house to get the mail and they come back and they're feeling short of breath or they're not feeling good. If I want that person to run like five miles, you know, on the very first day, that is too much, right? So it's very important to start from where you are in the exercising piece of it. Start slow and then build it up slowly. So I don't even call it exercise. I call it just body movement, you know, like just incorporate body movement in your daily routine, which can be walking, jogging, running, strengthening, all different kinds. Again, depending on where you are and where you want to go. But some body movement routine, again, should be part of their life. So I have a question. We talk about the exercise piece, right? So because I, I probably when, whenever someone has like an underlying health condition, I generally train them in zone two. And I do that for a reason, because most most of them are not familiar with working out at all. And I don't want to put them in high intensity training because their body is just not ready for that. Right. And, I, and I've seen that when I go to other gyms and people ask me to work with their trainers and I'll see them, you know, put, put, putting everyone through these high intensity, burn more calories, burn more calories, burn more calories. And I'm like and I'll stop and be like, hold up for a second. Do you, why are you doing that? Do you know anything about this person's background or is it just your program that you think is going to work for everyone, right? Then, like you said, like it's different for everyone. So when someone first comes to me, more than likely, you're going to strength train. You're going to do more like zone two, low intensity. They're going to have a podcast on that. You can watch and learn more about that, right? To, because your body's just not ready for it and until your body builds up to a point that it can um, go to that next level. Right. And I want to be very clear with that. And people be very familiar with that because we just don't, we, we get too many things confused and we try to do, we kind of like either we're up here or we're down here. Right. Like we try to go all to the top or we just don't do enough when sometimes it's somewhere in the middle. And if you're going to work with a trainer, you want the trainer, you, you want to have these discussions. I mean, they can't diagnose you. They can't put you on medication. Sometimes can't even touch your diet. But as far as the training piece, a good trainer can adjust their training based on based on your current lifestyle situation. For example, on the gyms that uh, the gym I used to work at, where I should work out now, one of the clients messaged me the other day and told me and she's been strength training for the last two months. She's been struggling to lose weight, and but she she does have um, hypothyroidism. And I don't know if she has Hashimoto's and I'm not remembering the exact name of the medication, but she messaged me, texted me the other day to tell me that her doctor has dropped her medication because she's been getting better. And the, what that trainer has been putting her on is strength training. And he may have her go on the bike and do some zone two training for about 30 minutes because she's not ready for high amounts of workouts or high intensity workout. So that's something else that we definitely need to pay attention to. In addition, remember, when you're lifting weights, in addition to that, you're also building muscle, which is very important for your metabolism, for the health of your metabolism, and also even for metabolic flexibility. So these are so many things that we really have to think about that we're come with, that we're lost on and we need to get back to. But with that being said, I can keep Dr. Gupta here like all day, but I'm not going to. I'm going to stop right here and just ask one quick question. Anything you want to tell my audience, including your shameless plugs, how can we get your book, how can you learn more about your work, so on and so forth? 
Absolutely. So I think a lot of people who have a thyroid disorder or Hashimoto's disease, they have been told that they have to live the life which is defined by these diseases. They will all be tired. They will not be able to lose weight. Just go home and do what you want. That is not true. You can do things to get better. It is the thing which if you do the right approach by focusing on your lifestyle, by focusing on the root cause of Hashimoto's disease, you can get better. So don't lose hope. This is a message for hope for each and every person out there that you can get better. Now, obviously, we share a lot of different kinds of information because everybody learns information in different ways. So we have all different ways. We have a very active blog for people who would like to read on our website, which is anshulguptamd.com. I have a very active YouTube channel for people who want to watch or listen. We have like small bite-sized videos, again, sharing practical tips and knowledge and information about Hashimoto's disease. So again, our handle is Anshul Gupta MD. So you can follow us over there. My book is again, a very great resource for people who want to dig deeper into Hashimoto's disease. It also gives you uh, steps that you can take from lifestyle perspective that can get you better called reversing Hashimoto's available on Amazon. So again, you can read on Kindle. If you want to order like a physical book, you can available on that. And do me a favor here, spell your name from our audience. Absolutely. So my first name is Anshul, which is A-N-S-H-U-L. And last name is Gupta, which is G-U, P as in Peter, T as in Tom, A. Awesome. He has a um a unique name like myself. Well, my, 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 my last name, I guess, is kind of common. But my first name, Narado, whoever hears about that. Of course, Zico, nobody knows that either. But anyway, I just wanted to make sure everybody is aware of how to spell your name. But of course, the web, your website and your YouTube information are going to be in the show notes, which are going to be in the description of the episode. So again, you can click on it and learn more about his work, purchase his book or whatever else. Reach out to the, reach out to them if you need to. So thank you, um, um, Anshul. This was a fantastic episode. I wanted to keep you for another hour or so, but I have to respect your time. So we're just going to do it part two another time. So thank you for being here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for watching. And we're out for today, everyone. Thanks for joining the Matter Over Mind experience. If you got good content out of this or any of my shows, save, subscribe, and share it with anyone who needs this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.